0: Isaiah, in the 12th chapter. And in that day thou shalt say, I will give thanks unto thee, O Jehovah. For though thou wast angry with me, thine anger is turned away, and thou comfortest me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For Jehovah, even Jehovah, is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. Therefore with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. And in that day shall ye say, give thanks unto Jehovah, call upon his name, declare his doings among the people, make mention that his name is exalted. Sing unto Jehovah, for he hath done excellent things. Let this be known in all the earth. Cry aloud and shout, thou inhabitant of Zion, For great in the midst of thee is the Holy One of Israel. Well, I wanted to read the entire chapter just to bring us back in line with where we've come from and where we've been. We see that this, of course, is a prophetic utterance from the prophet Isaiah. And he's speaking to his contemporaries. He's speaking to them of things that will come to pass, that will come to pass likely in their lifetime. He's talking about God's granting them, if we can put it this way, salvation from captivity and so on. They will be brought back. And and he's telling them and exhorting them as well at the same time to uh, understand that God is their salvation. There's no salvation apart from God. He wants them to know that whatever happens, God is the one that is doing it. God is the one that is uh, chastising them, perhaps. Certainly as a people, but not necessarily every individual. But he wants them to be aware of that and so that they can trust God and not be afraid, so that they can recognize that God is their strength. God indeed is is their song as well and he's telling him in that third verse therefore with joy shall you draw waters out of the wells of salvation what a prophetic utterance what a what a word of comfort to these people we have no idea very well of what may they what they may have been thinking or imagining was going to become of them and here's this prophetic word but it's not only just For I say as contemporaries, it's for those who came after in in the days when when the Messiah appeared. It was for those folk that they would trust in the Messiah, that they would trust in the King, that they would be able to recognize Him and that they would have their faith and trust in God Almighty as well. And then it's not just only for them, but it's for the church that was to come, for the church that... uh, began at Pentecost and beyond and for us today. These words are for ourselves as well, for our comfort, and we can take them to ourselves. We can be reminded that we had done things to make God angry. We can be reminded that though he was angry, that he comforted us, his anger was turned away at Golgotha when it was poured out upon his son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, therefore, he says, with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. And we looked at that last time and saw how that it was a reference, a metaphor perhaps, but a reference to our Lord Jesus Christ that he is indeed the well of salvation. And then the two verses that we're looking at tonight. And in that day shall ye say, Give thanks unto Jehovah. Remember now, as I just said, this is because of the wells of salvation that you're able, they're called to, to draw water out of. And we saw the importance of water in the scriptures and how that so often it's a figure speaking of salvation. In that day shall you say, give thanks unto Jehovah. After you've drawn this water, call upon his name, declare his doings among the peoples, make mention that his name is exalted sing unto Jehovah for he hath done mighty things he hath done excellent things let this be known in all the earth a question may come to our minds when we do some checking through the scriptures and referencing and so on even if we have Marginal references, we may be called, caused to take a glance at Psalm 105. Psalm 105, if you want to follow, listen to these words. So give thanks unto Jehovah, call upon his name, make known his doings among the people, sing unto him, sing praises unto him, talk ye of all his marvelous works, glory ye in his holy name. Let the heart of them rejoice that seek Jehovah. Seek ye Jehovah and his strength. Seek his faith evermore. Does that sound familiar? Well, I think we just read it from Isaiah pretty much. Was Isaiah guilty of plagiarism? Did he rip one of these Psalms of David and... And take it for himself? Of course not. The Holy Spirit guided him in all that he wrote down for us and and that God himself preserved for us that we would have it. Certainly he wasn't guilty of plagiarism at all. But how is it that we can refer to Psalm one hundred five as a Psalm of David? You have superscriptions over the Psalms, over many of them. Does it say a Psalm of David, in the day that he so and so and so? There are many Psalms that have such superscriptions and they they tell us often who the author, who the writer, who the penman was of these particular Psalms, but we don't find one above Psalm 105. How can we say that this is a Psalm of David? Where do we get that from? Well, we get it from 1 Chronicles in the 16th chapter. This is the occasion of David bringing in the ark. You perhaps remember that from our studies through 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, but this is the occasion in 1 Chronicles 16. Of David bringing in the ark. You remember that festive occasion of bringing the ark finally into Jerusalem. Bringing the ark back. And you remember all the excitement and so on. I just want to read a little bit of this. And the reason I'm doing this is because I want us to understand that we're talking about the church worshiping their God. Israel worshiping their God after they have received so much comfort the people of God today in the church worshiping their God through Jesus Christ for all the comfort that they have received from him and through him and through his blood. I'll just begin at the uh, last verse of the 15th chapter and give you a, a taste of this setting. And it came to pass as the Ark of the Covenant of Jehovah came to the city of David, That Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked out at the window and saw King David dancing and playing and she despised him in her heart. I'm not going to worry about that despising of Michal toward David. I already looked at that when we went through that in Samuel but the reason I read this verse is because we see King David dancing and playing. Do you not understand that he's worshiping God dancing and playing I want you to understand also that I'm not advocating that we dance and play in our worship service but I'm just saying that David was excited he was full of joy and happiness and exulting in his God that the ark was being brought back and he knew for a fact and if you study the history of bringing back the ark you will remember he knew that it wasn't of him He had tried once already and failed. In chapter 16, and they brought in the ark of God and set it in the midst of the tent that David had pitched for it. And they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before God. Worship. And when David had made an end of offering the burnt offering and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of Jehovah. (coughs) I don't know if that's supposed to be a benediction, but nonetheless... He blessed the people in the name of God, Jehovah, and he dealt to every one of Israel, both man and woman to everyone, a loaf of bread and a portion of flesh and a cake of raisins. He gave gifts to his people. It was a grand time of worship before God. But then we pick up at verse seven. And we read, then on that day did David first ordain to give thanks unto Jehovah by the hand of Asaph and his brethren. And then the next few verses, O oh, give thanks unto Jehovah and so on. they're almost word for word with Psalm 105. These first several verses are in fact Psalm 105 or this part of it that David ordained on that day to give thanks unto God, to give thanks unto Jehovah by the hand of these that he had appointed to minister before God, these that he had appointed to sing God's praises. This is worship, the worship of God. Give thanks unto Jehovah and so on. Perhaps this could be a guide to worship in some respects. I couldn't help but reflect upon several years ago or more when we had a a worship study group and it was very difficult it proved to be impossible in a number of ways and it kind of just stagnated in my memory anyway it stagnated and and just uh, ended up without any conclusion we struggled for many many years over the issue of the regulative principle and those things that, that we are commanded by God to do and, and the things that we have no warrant to do. But nonetheless, this could help us. We try to go to Acts 2 and in other places in the New Testament to see, and we frankly don't know very much about how the early church worshipped. And I think we have something here, and that's what we're going to be looking at by God's grace. The extreme similarities of this psalm of Isaiah, as we've called it, suggest that Isaiah knew the psalms of David very well. And he seems here to have powerfully in his mind, Psalm 105, which as we've looked, we find in 1 Chronicles, to have been appointed, ordained by David to be sung in the worship of God, to be sung unto God by the congregation of his people in worship. What is described in this verse, one is written, what is described in this verse is not only a consequence and result of drawing water from the wells of salvation, more than that, it is also the outworking of such drawing. When men enjoy the blessing of salvation, they must make known the glories of the redeeming and pardoning God. Have you ever ever really felt that? I know we all have. We all should have. But we don't feel it as often as powerfully as we would like to. But have you ever felt that? I can't help but praise God. I can't help but rejoice. I can't can't help but be happy in the Lord. And things of that nature. We, with remaining sin, so often look at the world in, in our troubles and our trials and so on, whatever or however significant they may or may not be. But he says, when men enjoy the blessing of salvation, those waters of salvation, they must make known, they can't help themselves, they must make known the glories of the redeeming and pardoning God. As we find in Malachi 3.16, Then they that feared Jehovah spake one with another. And Jehovah hearkened and heard, and a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared Jehovah and that thought upon his name. These men came together to speak to one another. And surely it's obvious what they were speaking about. They were speaking about their God. They were speaking about Jehovah. They were speaking one to another. When the heart, this writer continues, when the heart overflows with the bounties of the Lord, the tongue will speak forth his praises. Even as we see the psalmist in 103, bless Jehovah, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. We can't help ourselves on many occasions. What to God did, it was on every occasion. Is this not a gathered assembly? Is this not the corporate worship of our God. I believe that it paints a picture for us that it is indeed that it is a picture of a gathered assembly. It is a picture of corporate worship. David's song is a combination of selections. I'm speaking of the song that he ordained in. 1 Chronicles 16. It's a combination of selections from from two Psalms, 105 and 106, along with the entirety of Psalm 96. The first portion of David's psalm, as recorded in Chronicles, stems from Psalm 105, as we've already mentioned. And David interpreted, I believe, the, the glorious events of his day, of this day of bringing the Ark of the Covenant to its resting place, or at least its resting place until the temple could be built. He interpreted that as an evidence of the glorious events that were to come of the covenant of God with his people, bringing in the Ark of the Covenant. Joined with bringing in the Ark of the Covenant, his strength, his strength. His strength. Some writers believe that the Ark of the Testimony or the Ark of the Covenant is representative of the strength of God. I can't attest that or deny it. It's referred to in the Scriptures as the Ark of the Testimony, the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant of Jehovah, the Ark of God, the Ark of Jehovah, and so on. But it is. A beautiful picture, is it not, of our Lord Jesus Christ? Is he not our ark? And some writers have gone on beyond that to suggest the exhortation to seek ye Jehovah that we just read and his face, coupled with seek his face evermore, that as it stands here in this place means the ark of the Lord. His strength, and in a a respect, in a sense, his face. It represents God's being with them. Is that not what Christ is to us? Emmanuel, God with us? And this agrees, I believe, with David's 63rd psalm when he said, O God, thou art my God, earnestly will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee, my flesh longeth for thee in a dry and weary land where no water is. So have I looked upon thee in the sanctuary to see thy power and thy glory. Could he have said to see thy strength when I've looked upon thee in the sanctuary? Then on that day, David first ordained to give thanks unto Jehovah by the hand of Asaph and his brethren oh give thanks unto Jehovah he gave them this song he ordained it to be sung unto the praise of their God in thanksgiving and praise and to seek his face the song says seek his face forevermore H.C. Leupold that uh, Lutheran commentator said of this, God's favors have been rich. Very simple statement of truth, isn't it? God's favors have been rich. They call for rich praise. That's easy to remember, isn't it? God's favors to us have been rich. They call for rich praise from us. Can we ever get over this? Can we ever get over this That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's a hard one to get over, isn't it? I happen to have that verse in the front of my desk. Well, I mean up over on a shelf in front of my desk. Where it's right in front of me. While we were sinners, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I can't comprehend that. I praise God that he's given grace to his people to apprehend it, but I can't comprehend it. There are common features in many of the psalms regarding worshiping and praising God, and many of them are of David, of course. Psalm 4, one verse, Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Thou hast set me at large when I was in distress. Have mercy upon me and hear my prayer." This is David, again, praying unto God, reminding us of the importance of communication with God through prayer, through meditating upon the Scriptures, through reading the Scriptures, through considering them, studying them, comparing them one with another. And in chapter, or the fifth psalm, chapter five, if you will, David penned, we sang this psalm this morning. I said we sang this psalm this morning. I almost didn't recognize it because it it was a uh, little bit paraphrastic, but nonetheless, I looked it up when I got home. And this is David's fifth psalm, the first couple of verses. Give ear to my words, O Jehovah, consider my meditation. Hearken unto the voice of my cry, my King and my God, for unto thee do I pray. O Jehovah, in the morning shalt thou hear my voice. In the morning will I order my prayer unto thee and will keep watch. I will pray unto thee, but at the same time I will keep watch. Does that remind you of someone? Wasn't that exactly what Jesus told his disciples on a number of occasions? Watch and pray. David was doing this a couple thousand years earlier. And in the ninth psalm, he speaks of his God, for he that maketh inquisition for blood remembereth then, he forgetteth not the cry of the poor. He remembers the cry of the poor, those praying to him. And Asaph said in Psalm 77, I will meditate also upon all thy work and muse upon thy doings. Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is a great God like unto God? But Isaiah, with this psalm in David's psalm here, 105, as we found it recorded a couple of places, that's one of the exhortations to worship God, is to be meditating upon all his works, to be thinking, to be considering all the works, all the things that God has done. Look at this verse in Isaiah 12, these verses. And in particular four and five that we're looking at tonight. He exhorts us to give thanks unto Jehovah for his so great salvation, this well of salvation, as he's already spoken of, that well of salvation, in that day shall ye say, give thanks unto Jehovah. We shall never be thankful enough but praise God, he's given us an eternity to look ahead, an eternity of time to thank the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Isaiah calls upon us to call upon his name. Call upon the name of God. Call upon Jehovah, God. Call upon him. In that day ye shall say, he has written, call upon his name. That name, That name above every other name. The name of our God, our Father Abba. We read in Second Chronicles 14:11, these simple words of a king of Israel or Judah, "O Jehovah, thou art our Elohim." Most of the translations. O God, thou art our Lord, or O Lord, rather, thou art our God. And there's nothing wrong with that, but doesn't, when we call upon his name, isn't it wonderful and glorious to know his name? To know his name. And I believe he's given us his name that we might know it, to call upon it. O Jehovah, thou art our Elohim. Pronounce his name. Call upon it. Give him the descriptive title most expressive of his divine perfections, or more specifically, perhaps, calling by his name Jehovah, that is to ascribe to him the attributes which it denotes, that is uh, his eternity, his self-existence, his absolute holiness, his burning holiness that would consume us instantaneously if we came approached him without the robes of our Savior's righteousness. Together with that covenant relationship to his people, call him by his name, our covenant God, the new covenant that we rejoice so much in, the new heart, the the spirit given to us. Those promises, like Isaiah's promise here, those promises in Jeremiah and in Ezekiel, that he will be our God and we shall be his people. Declare his doings among the peoples. And this suggests, does it not, among the gathered assembly. In that day shall ye say, declare his doings among the people. What hath God wrought? What hath God wrought? What has he wrought? is a fair question to ask, what is this going on? What is God doing? What in the world is God doing? We may ask occasionally, what is he doing in the world? What has he wrought? We need to be declaring his doings among the peoples and and attempt to explain as best we can what God is doing, what he has done, what he intends to do to individuals that should ask us, but I think that it's even more importantly the suggestion that it's among the gathered assembly, among the peoples, Isaiah says. Pronounce the gospel of salvation through Jesus Christ. Pronounce the preaching of his word, the preaching of the Christ, our Lord Jesus. And again, the last thing that we take notice at in these couple of verses make mention that his name is exalted how do we do that make mention that his name is exalted It is exalted because it is him it is our God and it sets forth everything that he is another encouragement to study the scriptures to prove ourselves as it were to study the scriptures to come to know God better To seek his face as we've already read and heard. Make mention that his name is exalted. To magnify his name. I know I've prayed that a number of times. That I would be helped to magnify his name. I'm not sure exactly what it means to magnify his name. It's like to, to glorify him. How can we make him any more glorious than he is? don't understand all these things, but the scriptures tell us to magnify his name. And so we need to try to do that. In that day, shall ye say, make mention that his name is exalted. Elihu said in Job 36, 23, Behold, God doeth loftily in his power. Who is a teacher like unto him? Who hath enjoined him his way? Who has directed his way? In other words. Or who can say, thou hast wrought unrighteousness? Remember, Eli who says, remember that thou magnify his work. Whereof men have sung. His name again speaks of his attributes. It speaks of his character. It speaks of who he is and what he is. And he has given us his name. He has given us a number of names that tell us these things. I will bless Jehovah at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in Jehovah, we read. In Psalm 34, the meek shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify Jehovah with me and let us exalt his name together. Is that not a call to worship our God? Is that not a call for the covenant people of God to worship him? And you know that I'm talking about the new covenant. I'm talking about that covenant of salvation between God or with God and his people. He promised to save and he has and he is saving his people. Let thy salvation, O God, set me on high. I will praise the name of God with a song and will magnify him with thanksgiving how does that work I don't know but we read it here that by giving him thanksgiving and praise we magnify him so we want to do that we want to magnify him we want to magnify his name so let us be about the business of praising him for what he has done what he has done for so many and what he the price he has paid that, that we cannot imagine It is inestimable of a certainty. Isaiah speaks, as I've said, not only to his contemporaries, but to the future after all. He is a prophet. He was a prophet. Does this this not all constitute themes of worship, even corporate worship for the people of God? Do we not say one to another as we gather on the Lord's day? come let us worship and bow down do we not sing that chorus come let us worship and bow down do we not say i was glad when they said unto me let us go unto the house of jehovah a song of ascent. As some think as they climbed up the stairs the priests the levites climbing up the stairs of the temple songs of ascent they were singing i was I was glad when they said unto me, let us go unto the house of Jehovah. When we sing together, when we pray together, when we sit under the reading of the word of God, when we join together to hear the word preached, when we come together around his table, I believe we're magnifying his name. We're exalting him. In that day, we are saying, Give thanks unto Jehovah to one another. I believe this is uh, somewhat, or at least something, of what Paul is teaching in Ephesians 5 when he exhorts us to be speaking one to another. Speaking one to another. Not just casual visits, speaking to one another of something that we, well, I don't have anything in common with that person there forty years younger than I am. I don't have any com- anything in common with that person. Uh, they're a real farmer. I'm just one by name only. I don't- we have something in common, do we not? We have the Lord Jesus Christ. We have God, our Heavenly Father. We have the gift of God, the Holy Spirit, indwelling us. We have something in common to talk about. Speaking one to another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs making melody with your heart unto the Lord, giving thanks always for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God. Doesn't that that oftentimes bless you to hear others giving thanks to God for things? Thank you for the rain that we're not all dry like we were last year perhaps. Does that not rejoice your heart to hear God's people giving him thanks? Does it not magnify his name before us? Giving thanks, even the Father, subjecting yourselves as he goes on one to another in the fear of Christ. Subjecting yourselves one to another. And when the same apostle writes similarly to the church at Colossae, he embellishes, it seems, the matter. He's speaking the same things really but he he has turned the words a little bit when he says let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts peace with one another be at peace with all men but primarily we belong to the prince of peace let the peace of Christ rule in your heart to which also you were called in one body and be ye thankful Give thanks, give praise, rejoice, rejoice always. Again, it sounds like a case of corporate worship, does it not? He continues, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. Did you ever imagine, did you ever realize that when you're singing, Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs that you're singing one to another as well as to God, praising Him, thanking Him, but you're singing one to another. It's, it's as though you're giving something of your testimony one to another as you use your own vocal chords to sing praise unto God. You're speaking according to Paul here. You're teaching and admonishing one another with Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing with grace in your hearts unto God. This blessing of corporate worship. The blessing of having a church. The blessing of the church that Christ left his body of people here. And that he is standing even now at the right hand of God, ever living to intercede for us, for his people, for his churches. Yes, I am somewhat desponding because uh, there aren't very many men planning on coming Wednesday, I grant but then the spirit buoys me up and I remember Gideon. I remember that numbers don't matter and I remember that God is sovereign over all these and that the heart of the king is in his hands. The heart of these other men is in his hands and he does whatever he will. And if we have three men or if we have 300 like Gideon, it's the will of God. And we pray for contentment with the will of God. Sing unto Jehovah. For he hath done excellent things. Let this be known in all the earth. Let this be known. How that Jehovah brought his people. We find this similar similar expression in Exodus 15. After the deliverance from the Red Sea. And the people were singing. In chapter 15. Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto Jehovah and spake, saying, I will sing unto Jehovah, for he hath triumphed gloriously. He brought us through that sea, and then he covered up Pharaoh's host with it. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. Jehovah is my strength and song, and he is, listen to these words, has become my salvation. Didn't we just read that in Isaiah 12, a week or two ago? This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. This salvation, whether it's through the Red Sea or whether it's from our sin by the blood of Christ, calls upon, requires us to praise God, to worship him, to thank him, to exalt him, to exalt in him, he is God. Let this be known how that Jehovah brought his people out of bondage and saved them from Pharaoh, the slave master, through the Red Sea, is basically what those people in Exodus 15 are saying. I had a co worker, another pipe fitter, years ago. He's going to be with the Lord, I trust. But he spoke kind of comically a lot of times. He was from West Virginia. He was pastoring a church as well as working six days a week at the auto plant. But quite often he would, he would come up with this particular expression, I'm just bragging on Jesus. I thought that was kind of comical, but you know what? That means a lot. And I think that's what Isaiah is calling us to, to brag on God, to exalt him, to magnify him, to magnify his name. I'm just bragging on Jesus, we could say. We need not to go to deepest Africa. I mean, this passage says, let this be known in all the earth. We need not go to deepest Africa or to to the wilds of Borneo. Uh, I don't guess that Borneo is still named Borneo anymore, is it? (laughs) Or to China or Ecuador But we are to let this be known in all the earth, wherever God has placed us. We don't don't have the same perspective about missions as many churches, perhaps most churches do. But we are to let this be known wherever God has placed us and understand our sovereign God has sovereignly placed us in the place where we live, in the place where we worship, in the midst of people that we bump into at at the supermarket or at the garage or whatever. Let this be known that God, that Jehovah has done excellent things is the call here. We don't have to go to these foreign lands. We are to let this be known in all the earth, wherever God has placed us. To all with whom we have contact, We are to expose ourselves as salt and light and leaven because that's what God has made us to be, salt and light and leaven. And we're to do so before our families, before our friends, before our neighbors, as his people, without equivocation. Let it be known how that in God's amazing grace he saved a wretch like me. How that in God's amazing grace, while I once was lost, now I'm saved. Let it be known. I'm not talking about going up and grabbing people by the collar or their shirt sleeve. I'm not inclined to that, and I'm not advocating it, and I frankly don't care much for it. If If God calls you to do that, then do it. He hadn't called me to do it. I'm not talking about missions and I'm not talking about that kind of quote-unquote evangelism. I'm talking about being what God is making us to be and being that before other people. That we don't even have to say anything, much less jerk on their sleeve. They will say, what's with that guy? And maybe they'll ask you, what's with you? I remember years ago being with uh, my pastor at the time in Michigan and at the home of a, a third believer and just visiting. He didn't go to our church. We were just visiting and we were talking about this, that and the next thing and something came up about this younger man at our church whose father lived in Iowa. And I said something to our pastor about George Pacala and this other friend, the homeowner that we were visiting, George Pacala, it turned out that years earlier he had worked with George Pacala at John Deere in Iowa. And we were telling him, yeah, He's really a serious, strong-minded believer in the Lord Jesus Christ in this man's response. I always thought there was something different about him. That was the picture. That was what he saw. I thought there was something different about him. Well, there was. I'm just suggesting that as an example. I will sing unto Jehovah as long as I live, the psalmist says in 104. I will sing praise to my God while I have any being at all. There is in this, I believe, in Isaiah 12 and in this Psalm 105, and the one and as it's recorded in 1 Chronicles 16, I believe there's a solemn call to the people of God to look to Jehovah, their Savior and King, to seek in instituted worship and ordinances. for his presence and blessing and to persevere therein. One has said the face of Christ is the favor of Christ. The face of Christ is the favor of Christ, which when he gives us the sense and enjoyment of, we find it life everlasting. We don't look in the ark Christ is the ark. We don't look into the holy of holies. Christ is the holy of holies. We look into the face of our Lord Jesus Christ. As Paul said in 2 Corinthians, seeing it is God that said, light shall shine out of darkness who shall shine in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Oh, Lord our God, we thank thee for our King. We thank thee for our Savior, (coughs) our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We praise thee for thy love, thy love for the salvation of thy people. We don't understand it, but we thank thee for it and for the Savior, and for being our Heavenly Father through the spirit of adoption and for granting to us, God, the Holy Spirit, we thank Thee, we praise Thee for all these things through our Lord Jesus Christ, who has merited them for us through His own blood. Amen. You'd stand for the benediction Solomon concluded his prayer of dedication in 2 Chronicles 16 with what appears to be a benediction and said, Now therefore arise, O Jehovah God, into thy resting place, thou and the ark of thy strength. Let thy priests, O Jehovah God, be clothed with salvation and let thy saints rejoice in goodness.